I'm going to have uh, Michael Ronning, if you would come, we're going to read chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. All right, James 5, 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Thank you. Shall we open our service in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for prayer. And as we look at prayer this morning, we think about what it involves and how we can effectively pray. Father, we know that you are the power behind prayer. You desire that we pray, that we come to you, that we call upon you. Lord, may we never forget the object of our prayer. And as we commit to pray to you, Father, we are a needy people, we're sinful people, but Lord, we know that you forgive us and that you have a plan and purpose and our desire is to, to pray according to your will. And while we know we cannot manipulate or change, Father, we, we don't know what the future holds and so you call us to pray to increase our faith. And we just pray that you would teach us, you would guide us and help us to trust you above all. May you increase our faith through prayer. And we ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. As we look at prayer this morning, the need of faith in prayer, there are many elements to prayer. And uh, one of the things about prayer that I want to look at is that it is the most common faith practice among American adults. 79% have said that they have prayed at least once in the past three months. Hopefully you've prayed at least once in the past three months. Um, but it's also one of the most complex and multifaceted. The Bible speaks of numerous kind of prayers. There's a prayer of supplication, the prayer of intercession, the prayer of faith. And it uses diverse language to describe the practice. Different traditions and denominations, you know, they will tend to emphasize different characteristics of prayer or who they pray to. So I just want to look at a few characteristics of prayer because to begin with this morning, how do you most often pray? And so as we look at the slide, and I know it's kind of small, but I'll just try to read it. First one you see is silently by myself. 82%, and this is based upon some Barna trends, 82% of people say, I pray silently to myself. 13% say, I pray audibly to myself. And there's nothing wrong with that, talking to yourself out loud. Some people might think that that is a you know, what is wrong? You're suffering from a condition. You're talking to yourself. But I think that's good because you're audibly talking out loud, sometimes for a walk. 
just sometimes when you're driving, you know, you think, who are you? You look over, who's that person talking to? There's nothing wrong with that. Audibly with another person or group. Sometimes you pray with other people. And then collectively with a church, which part of corporate prayer. Usually one person prays. It's not everyone prays. I've been, when I was down in Peru, there was times where um, I spoke in Spanish and then they pray. And sometimes it's like a, you wonder if it's a, you know, if you start speaking, they'll start praying. And then you stop and they'll stop. And then it's, it's sometimes very confusing if you haven't done that, where there's kind of a group and people are praying. It's kind of like a game. Okay, you stop, they stop, then you pray. But prayer is important because it demonstrates um, a dependence upon God, but pray. The key is to pray. Some, as we see biblical examples of where they're down on the ground laying prostrate, and then there's others who are praying. They are praying on their knees. Some are standing up with their hands extended to heaven. Is there a wrong way to pray? You know, there were some different religious leaders who are talking about the best way to pray is with their hands up to heaven. No, it's laying down, submissive to God. And there's the electrical worker who said, you know, I think the best prayers I ever did were hanging, you know, 75 feet up in the air upside down uh, because he was fixing a telephone pole and he was hanging there and praying to God. And you know what? There's no wrong position to pray. The key is to pray. But also the next slide as you look at is what does the content of your prayers most often pertain to? And as you look at that, I, I'm sorry I put it up there because you can't really read that. Um, but let me just tell you what it says. 62% is gratitude and thanksgiving. 61% the needs of my family and community. 49% personal guidance and crises. 47% my health and wellness. 43% confession and forgiveness. 43% things I suddenly feel compelled or urged to pray about. 41% safety in my daily tasks or travel. 37% a sense of peace. 37% blessings for meals. Specific requests from others, 34%. 24%, concerns about the nation or government. 20%, concerns about global problems and injustices. 12%, my sleep. 8%, reciting scripture passages, meditations, or other. And then 8% is other. And so those are just um, what do people pray about, or what is their content of their prayer. Next we see, to whom do you pray? 3%, if we look at the next slide, 90% um, will pray to God. 50% pray to Jesus. Oftentimes in our faith, we pray to God in the name of Jesus. And then 23% pray to the Holy Spirit. 5% pray to the saints. 5% pray to a higher power not associated with specific religion. 3% pray to a divine power within myself. 3% ancestors. 3% universe. Others are nature, Yahweh, um, Allah, so I'm not sure. What we believe the Bible says is to talk to who, to pray to God. And it's important that we understand who God is, because he is the creator of the universe. He is the one, all supreme power, Yahweh. And there's a difference, because some people use different names, but they don't understand who truly God is. And I think that's an important element and who to pray to. And then the last thing we look at, number four, is, I'm going to forget, there it is, pray to a specific power not associated with the religion. As we look at others who, some have no faith, there's 
who have no faith. They just pray to a higher power, not associated with specific religion, 25% non-Christian, 15 of other faith. The reason I give you some of these is because prayer is by far the most common spiritual practice among Americans. If you say, I'm going to pray for you, most people will have no problem with that. In fact, they would encourage that because they feel, oh, there is benefit to that. And the vast majority of Americans, no matter their religious affiliation or non-affiliation, participate in some kind of prayer activity. And that's been consistent. But what do people mean by prayer? What do these prayers actually look like? And who are they praying to? And these are the questions what drove this study. And so there's other details I have if you're interested in that. But most people believe that there is a power to prayer or there is a benefit to prayer, whether you're religious or not. When you're in a crisis and you know you're faced with a dilemma, prayer is a resource and you're like, you know, I'll, I'll take anything you want, that, anything that will help. And whether you're a believer or non-believer, that's where people are at. But this morning I'd like to look at prayer and the importance of faith in prayer. And what exactly means from the perspective of James? What was taking place there? So turn, if you would, to James. Maybe you're there already. James chapter 5. And it's going to be, uh, we're looking at verses 13 through 20. And as we've been studying through, we've been going through doers of the word, not hearers only because faith without works is dead. I'm going to continue to express that. But also, how do we strengthen our faith in God? And I believe it's through this fervent prayer. So here we have James who uses some hypothetical interrogatives that are answered with imperatives. Um, if you're in this situation, do this. Okay, it's kind of a how-to how or self-help book. If you need help here, just do this. Sometimes the doctor would say, oh, if you have a headache, take two of these and call me in the morning, right? If A, then B, like a modern day. But here we look at, first of all, three circumstances in which to pray. Three circumstances in which to pray. So as we advance in our slides, first of all, we see here is that the first one is, are you suffering? Verse 13, it says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. First thing we look at, are you suffering? When we think of suffering Oftentimes we think of, oh, are you suffering with a cold? Are you suffering through this or that? And as we look at the language, it refers not to physical pain, but literally enduring hardship, misfortune, calamity, trouble. While it can certainly apply to physical pain, you know, if you're going through and you're having an attack of your gallbladder or um, physically, you're going through something and you are suffering, you're suffering obviously physically and emotionally, it can apply to that, but often enduring a hardship, misfortune, calamity, trouble, distress. And it can be both physical and emotional. Because sometimes it's those emotional distresses that can affect us even greater than the physical ones. And the response here is, if you're going through these difficult circumstances, let him pray. What does that mean? It's used of the individual need of every person to turn to God personally. Remember, this is addressed to a corporate group. Those who are scattered, dispersed, the believers. And here it comes down and says, not only corporately should you pray together, but also personally. When you're facing circumstances, you have the opportunity and the resource to pray as an individual, wherever you're at. 
God will enable us to be strengthened during the process. So when you're going through a time of suffering, when you are suffering, whether it be through, you know, it could, could be anything that you hear. Sometimes it's the news of cancer. Sometimes it's a sickness. Sometimes it's the, the pain of a loved one going through something. Sometimes it's enduring hardship, whatever you're at. And think of it as some of you cannot relate to, but pregnancy. You're going through pain. You're going through a suffering. It's a difficult time. But it's a reminder for us. As you go through this difficult circumstances, to pray. The next situation we're presented with is, are you cheerful? Kind of a contrast. Here, are you suffering? But then, are you cheerful? And as we look at it, going through, and just looking at it in the New King James, it states as well, here it says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. The Holman Christian says, is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. And as I was studying out the word, you know, why they use psalms, and it literally is, as we, as we look at it, um, it is the expression of praise, to sing praise. So are you cheerful? And it's not just like, are you happy? Because sometimes we equivocate happiness with cheerfulness. You know, you have to be happy all the time. Put on the happy face. But it's an attitude of good courage, good spirits. And it's not only necessarily happiness. Like, oh, I just found $10. Oh, I'm so happy, you know. Didn't even know I had it. Oh. But it's a cheerfulness. It's where a good spirits. If you think about it in Acts 27, 22. The ship is falling apart. They're running out of food. They're in, um, Paul is with these sailors, and they're, they're go- they think they're going to die on the ship. He says to them, be of good courage. Now, he's not saying just be happy. You know, understand, be of good spirits because there is hope. So are you cheerful? And it's this inner attitude of good courage, good spirits that you're in. And it's a direct contrast, obviously, to are you suffering as you see that. And the whole idea is whatever circumstances you're in. But sing praises or literally express praises, sing praises. And there's that contrast that emphasizes the emotional spectrum of mankind and reminds us of the need to look to Jesus in all situations. Are things going well for you? Are you in a contented state? Don't forget to sing praises and thank God for those. Count your many blessings. It's a reminder of just understanding the state you are in. Because life truly goes through these mountaintop experiences, but then there's also the valleys, peaks and lows. But whatever circumstances you are in, remember that God is still in control and he desires that you express and sing praises to him. Next we see here going through, are you sick? Verse 14, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him. As we look at that and understand, just are you sick? And oftentimes we think, oh, when I'm sick, I just want to be by myself. And we just think of of a sickness that is, oh, I have a cold or I have stirrup throat or I'm bound in bed and I don't want to be around anyone else. The sickness here is of a debilitated or incapacitated nature. 
And back in the first century, it wasn't just sniff cold, sniff this or that. It was where you physically were unable to even be a part of the, of the group or the location of the church. Debilitated, incapacitated. Let him or her call the elders of the church to pray over him. And the leaders were acting upon dependence of a higher authority or trusting God. And I believe this is in direct contrast. Remember the first century, what was taking place. When there was sickness, when there was illness, what they would do. Don't follow the practice of those around you here when you are in this situation. And it was more serious than just the sniffles. But here, first of all, anointing with oil, as we see. It says, Call the elders of the church, and they should pray over and anoint him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. So we see certain characteristics of, of what is the response here. First of all, anointing with oil. Why was the purpose of this? Was this symbolic? Was this medicinal? And what I would believe, I would take into this probably it was medicinal. Um, back at the first century, olive oil cured a lot of things. If you think about it, there's some people who think, oh, if you do Windex or if you, you know, spray here, that, or you take this medicine, take aspirin all the time. What do you do? Take this medicine. Essential oils will cure everything. You know, I mean, some, there are benefits to them, but at that time it's saying, here, take the oil, take the medicine. It didn't list a specific thing, but there were medicinal properties, and I think that we can look at that and say, take medicine. It's not to, sometimes there's those who just simply want to only use prayer. God will heal me in every situation. All I have to do is pray. There's benefit. We live in a modern era where there is medicines that will help us and that you can use it. Now, granted, don't just trust in the medicine alone. But here, the anointing oil, as we look at it, emphasis was upon the prayer and secondary was upon the medication or the uh, medicine. Secondly, as we look at pray in the name of the Lord. Why would he put that in there, James? You know, was there something specific? As they go through, as we look at this, it is to distinguish between other idols and gods of dependence. Dependence. If you think about the era of the first century and the Hellenistic times, the influence of the Greek. And one thing I found that I really enjoy is a little bit reading about the Greek mythology and reading about what was taking place. You might think that's kind of crazy. But the more I get into it, the more I kind of understand what was taking place in the first century. I've had the opportunity to spend time in Damascus, Syria, and Palmyra. And Palmyra had a, a mile square a temple devoted to Baal. That was very influential in the community, as you think about it. But imagine where they were all living in a society where they're all Greek gods are kind of, here, do this, do that. Really, we live in a society right now that is very acceptable to one faith, trusting in God. But there are many other um, developing religions. And here in the first century, living in Hellenistic times, there was here, trust in this Greek God, trust in this Greek God. And there was, as I was doing some studies, as you think about it, the healing Greek sanctuary, stone tablets attributed to their validity. There was... Um, Asclepius, and some of you think, who is Asclepius? Asclepius was a demigod with Father Apollo and mortal mother Coronis, who was presented as the most loving of the human loving of the gods. His father gave him gifts of healing and use of medicinal plants and herbs. He was eventually killed by Zeus because Zeus killed him with a lightning bolt and said, 
you're too close to opening the gates of the immortal and the mortals, allowing mortals to have that. And um, he was a threat. And he said, uh, Ascalpius was said to have raised the dead. His descendants included Hippocrates. If you think of Hippocrates in medicine, the doctors always have to give the Hippocratic Oath. And uh, the only restriction um, was that he would not heal unless a patient was virtuous. Inscription on a temple read, Pure must be he who enters a fragrant temple. Purity means to be wise in holy things. Faith was not required, only virtual deeds. Think about that. Faith was not required, only virtuous deeds. How you acted, how you were as an individual, your character. He was mild and benevolent and was a savior from sickness and danger. Interesting, the parallels to Christ. Uh, flourished at the time of the first centuries and held out longer than any other Olympian gods against Christianity. Sanctuaries and healing centers were located at Epidaurus in the east side of Greece, Athens in Athens, and the island of Kos, uh, Tegea, um, Pergamum as well. There was huge influence. So if you think about what was taking place at that time, in contrast, if you were sick, there were options. Okay, say you had an issue. We go to medical and some of us don't even like to go to any medical practice. When I was down in Peru, some of them didn't like to go to, to a doctor because in the rural areas, that person probably said, oh, have surgery, and you, you would end up dying because they only had about three years of med, um, medical practice and study. A little scary, but understanding they wouldn't go, so they'd be like, oh, I can live with it. It's no big deal. But imagine that. If you really had something going on, now we go to the practice, we try to measure look at different practitioners. But at that time, you had a medical issue. What do you do? Who do you depend on? Even nowadays, you look at the internet. Oh, someone had this at you read that. Well, do you, do you depend upon them? Do you depend on this doctor? And wait, this doctor says something different. So there's a lot of contrasting ideas. My point is, in the first century, as James writes to them and tells them, pray in the name of the Lord to distinguish there are a lot of others you're going to put your faith in. Some of them would, okay, I'll say this prayer if this works. Think back in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice. They would pray to this God. Pray to this God. Don't want to miss any. Even in Athens, remember they had all of these idols, and they didn't want to miss anyone. If you had the opportunity to be healed or you're going through something, you'll try anything you can. Okay, I'll do this, 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 and this. And you still see in some of the Eastern religions, uh, there are those who sometimes put out food as a practice um, to maybe have a good day. Some of those, um, when we live down in Peru as well, in sometimes Latin American countries, if you're the first person in the market, they, they will sell to you because they figure if you make the first sale, then the rest of the day will go well. So as a believer in the first century here, they're saying, um, James is telling them, Listen, don't go to the marketplace. Don't go to these secular areas. Pray in the name of Jesus. Trust him alone. Pray in the name of Jesus and don't depend upon these others. But also, James puts in this condition, and it's really interesting because it says, the prayer of faith will save the sick. It's an unconditional statement, but it's also misused by many in Christianity. The prayer of faith will save you. What does it say specifically? It says here, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So now you have people who don't understand the word of God completely, and they say, the prayer of faith will save you. If you have enough prayer, you can be healed. But also send me $20, and I'll make sure that uh, it, um, God hears that prayer. These 
individuals have manipulated what the Word of God says, and they've just taken that passage. They don't take the whole understanding of the text. It is unconditional, but it's misused by those who declare that if you have enough healing, excuse me, if you have enough faith, you will be healed. And I don't believe that any elder here in the condition here held the gift of healing. Nor were every sick, per, every sick person who was prayed for healed. But he gives a situation, condition, but he does say that every, um, there is a, at that time and now, I believe there is specific healing. Where as we look at, there are specific times when healing comes about through prayers of faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by medicinal or any other power. It's unexplained. There's times where, you know what, prayer. And that's what prayer, faith is. But if we could say, okay, you know, pray the prayer of faith every time you're going to be healed. Guess what? It's like a magic um, process that we go through and it's going to be done. We don't necessarily know what the will of God is. But be faithful in the prayer. And there is the prayer of faith will heal. And that's why as devoted believers in Christ, we pray. We fervently pray. We pray. And there are times where we look at, and when God is glorified, because here the doctors will say, you know, it's astounding. We can't, we don't understand it. But guess what? We know what it is. It's God who works through it. The prayer of faith. And while it's not every time, it truly occurs, and it's unexplicable sometimes to anyone who doesn't understand the power of prayer. And here, the definitive declaration emphasizes that the assurance that comes when God chooses to glorify himself through healing. There's no earthly limitation. There will be complete healing. It'll be the Lord who raises the sick through the instrument of prayer. And that's the thing we don't always understand. We don't know all the details. It's, some, it's not a magic formula that every time, if I, I have the prayer of faith, that you'll be healed every time. Could it be? Maybe. But I don't think that's necessarily what the emphasis is in this passage. It is in prayer. But God will choose in those times to heal, and he will be glorified through that. And that's the important understanding. But the prayer of faith heals the physical sickness, but also the spiritual sickness. And we see the second part of that where it says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Probably at this time we don't know that uh, some of the illness may have been as a result of the sin in their life. Now, often many believe that if I am, if I am, living in a wrong way, then I'm going to be sick, or there's going to be a physical thing that applies to you. Not all the time does that occur. We know even from Job and other instances where just because there are, are difficulties going on in your life, some of it is as a result of God glorifying himself to your life. But other times there are specific examples where people are sick and there's issues going on because of sin. We look at 1 Corinthians 11, those who Paul calls out and says, some of you are sick, and some of those who are going through difficult illnesses and debilitating times because of the sin in your life. But here, it says that you will have complete healing, but also you'll be restored. And that's an important part, that forgiveness, to have that right relationship. Next, we see the conditions that are 
are important to effective prayer. Verse 16 through 20. Verse 16 through 20, it says, the three conditions are, are important to effective prayer. And it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual or effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Then it goes through, uses the example of Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain in the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. First of all, we see the importance of confessing your trespasses or sins one to another. Verse 16. This does not promote confessional. It says, like, every time we must confess and you're absolved from your sin. But it does express, I believe, as a body the importance of confession in a believer's life, the restoration of a right relationship. And this is probably referring to a small group as he writes to the church, and now he comes back and says to you in the, in the church, churches as a local group, indicating the need to confess specific sins. Because what often takes place is the confession of the sins committed one against another. Remember, this is a large body, and they lived as communities in... Um, with one another, and there's oftentimes, if we spent a lot of time with one another all week, we probably would get on each other's nerves. We would probably offend someone, we would say some things, and, and what was occurring is, guess what? There needs to be restoration. Think about your family members. Sometimes, you know, you put them all in a household and let them spend a, a week or more together, you know, you're going to drive each other's nuts. You know what buttons to push, what's going to happen, and after a while, you know, you, you have to ask forgiveness. And here, it's important to understand because confession literally means to say the same thing. Remember, call sin what it is and specifically identify it so you can remove it from your life and prevent it from occurring again. The emphasis, as we see, the accountability to God and the humility in getting right with others whom you have offended. That's the first thing. Confess those trespasses. Secondly, pray for others. Pray for one another. The purpose is clearly stated, so that you may be healed. This includes physical and spiritual restoration. Pray for one another. We must always not look to our, only to our own needs, but also to the needs of others. It says in Philippians 2.4, the interest, pray, pray and prayer must be both asked for and given. We must never underemphasize our need for prayer by keeping needs to ourselves, and also never diminish the value of prayer by thinking our requests are not as worthy as others. Let me just say that again. We must never underemphasize our need for prayer by keeping needs to ourselves and never diminish the value of prayer by thinking our requests are not as worthy as others. We must also commit to pray for others and do it. Sometimes we don't pray. When we ask for prayer requests, it's like, oh, mine is as as important as that one. You know, that person is going through such extreme suffering. How does mine compare to that? I just need some encouragement and some help. God desires that we give those requests to him. And it's, it's right. It's good to pray for one another. It's not a contest who, of whose prayer is more important than others. You know, and sometimes we think about that. Wow, that person really needs prayer. They're going through such difficult things. They've lost their car. They've lost their dog. They've lost you know, their house, they're going through some difficult times. 
And then you say, oh, pray for me safety as I, as I have to drive to California. But you never know what, what will take place. And it shows our both a humility but also our dependencies upon God. Do not diminish the, the need for prayer or the power of prayer in our lives. We don't know what will happen when we leave from here. Safety just driving to your home. But also, third thing we look at is prayer emphasizes the dependence, not the independence. And where it talks about here, Elijah was a cherished saint, a mighty prophet. Think about all that Elijah did. Call down fire. I would think, whoa, wouldn't that be a cool thing to call down fire and to suck everything up, you know, that flame on Mount Carmel? That would have been an awesome thing to see. And all that Elijah did, those, those miracles, and some of the saints as we look at. But it's interesting because as we look at his life and what occurred, the emphasis is not out of pow the power that we can do. Okay, we can call down fire. We can do this. The emphasis is upon specifically to understand he was a man with a nature like ours, still understood where the power of prayer lies. Now, don't think about what occurred. Think about though he did these great and mighty things, where does the power lie in? In prayer. He called upon God and expressly. He understood, even though he was able to do these things, it was in Jesus Christ, in, in God. The Almighty God who is the object of our prayer. The emphasis of the text is not, is not upon necessarily the miracle prayer, but the similitude of great spiritual prophet who was human and still demonstrated a fervent, earnest need to depend upon one greater than himself. As we think about prayer, the conditions, and as we look about understanding this whole book of James. Remember, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And as we come in closing, just this last verse, 19 through 20, it almost seems like there's something distinctly different. Because he jumps into and says, My brothers, if any of you strays from the truth and turns someone back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner back from the error of his ways will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. Remember, as we look at these letters, he's trying to get as many of these different issues in. So there's a little bit, it's kind of understanding that the conversation is changing a little bit. He's dealing with these different issues. It's not like we write a dear letter, you know, here we, in our thoughts, it kind of goes down here. You kind of have to jump to different subjects. For men, it's very different. We like to kind of think logically go through. Ladies, you are wonderful because you can carry on about six different conversations with seven different people and still keep them all track. Guys are still tracking about, wait a second, who's that? What's going on? But here, in these letters, as we think of dealing with these different subjects, if you go back to look at um, verse 7 through 12, and remember those Jewish believers who were not patient in their suffering, and they're saying, what's going on? He urges them to be patient because the Lord's return is near. If anyone strays from the truth and thinking about what is taking place, even in the key theme of being doers of the word and not hearers only. And the faith, they are not living, their actions are not backing up what their word's saying. And really that's the declaration that I want to give to you today. Is keep one another in prayer and remember not to dwell upon the injustices and sufferings you face as being more severe than others who have gone through before have faced. Each of us are going through difficult circumstances and they're individual to us. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it's school, and sometimes we feel very alone. 
but yet understand to have patience, endurance. Get, make your request known to God. Give those over. Sometimes the emotional solitude that we go through, we're facing that, you know what? I'm just tired. Take it to the Lord in prayer and understand to believe and endure, to place your faith in God. And through the power of prayer, it'll be an enduring testimony. If When you believe and endure, it'll be an enduring testimony that your faith in Jesus Christ was not without visible evidence or works. Believe and endure through the power of prayer, and it will be a testimony that your faith was not without visible evidence or works. As we look at the book and understand, that's really the key. And in prayer, you have a great opportunity to show your dependence upon God and allow your actions to be seen through that. What a wonderful testimony that is. So to, as an encouragement, it really gives us to think about that, to understand that we have the resource of praying. Are you happy? Are you going through sufferings? Are you cheerful? Are you bored? Sometimes we're going to be, go through life as that. But dwell upon who God is, because no matter what you're facing, God desires that you turn to him. Don't depend solely upon yourself. He's given each of you gifts. You have talents and abilities. I know many of you and things that you can do, and sometimes you need the encouragement to understand that God is with you. Some of you have some great talents and abilities, and God uses those, but don't depend upon yourself. Remember who, the one who has given them to you and live those out. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, help us to, to believe but endure. Father, we don't know how soon your return is. We believe it could be tomorrow. We believe it could be today, but we often live in such a way that, you know what, we're going to live to be whatever the life expectancy is, and then we die, and we'll worry about those things later. But Lord, I pray that as we look at the book of James, as we think about prayer, how important it is in increasing our faith, but also understanding that you work through prayer when we simply communicate to you our needs, our desires, when we praise you for what you have done, and God, you do some incredible things in our lives. They're visible reminders that you are active and that you are working out your specific plan in our lives. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning as they're going through some trials, Maybe blessings. Maybe things are going very well in your life. I pray that during these times that you, your confidence is in Christ and God because there will be other times where you're going to face difficulty. But God, you're always dependable. You are faithful. You're loving. And when we go through those difficult times, it's not always just to punish us. To, and when we plead to you, help. Enough. I can't take anymore. God, you're there in your loving mercies. And you say, endure. It will not be above what you can handle, but turn to God because he has wisdom 
and he has a perfect plan for your life. Just take a moment as the piano plays to just think about